everybody, we're back. We are back. And unfortunately, it is no longer spooky month anymore. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it's sad, but that's okay. It's still a fun topic. Definitely. We still have a great topic in store for you. So thanks for joining us for another episode of But It Is Rocket Science. Thanks so much. Anna, since you came up with this topic, do you want to go ahead and introduce it? Yeah, so this is a fun one. We're going to do space food. Woo! I know. I think it'll be a good one. My mom actually asked me this. She sent me an article about new update in space food. She's like, you should do an episode about this. I was like, actually, that's a good idea. Yeah, I had a lot of fun researching this one. I did too. Some of it's kind of gross. <laughs> we'll get into that. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, how have you been? I've been good. So it's the weekend. It's the end of a Sunday when Anna and I are recording. It is. I've had a pretty good weekend so far. Hen and I saw each other in person for the first time in like probably a month. We did. Yes. So we've definitely been limiting our in-person hangouts because of the pandemic. So it was extra special to see Anna and we got some coffee and some lunch. Some lunch. That's right. We both are big fans of Starbucks. They're not a sponsor yet. <laughs> but we're here with our lattes whenever they hear this. <laughs> yeah, we've like, actually, I think it's been a while since we've mentioned our love of Starbucks, but both Anna and I would bond over our Starbucks drinks at work. We would take our Starbucks breaks. Yes. Yep. Or if it was happy hour. Oh, yes. So Starbucks happy hour is when it's buy one, get one free. Yeah. And who doesn't love a coupon? Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah how about you anna any highlights any other highlights of the weekend it was a good weekend i bought a new comforter sweet it's like a duvet cover that has constellations all over it oh beautiful yeah what i really wanted was a navy blue one with like gold embroidered constellations that's amazing yeah it's not what i got it's what i really wanted but i couldn't even find it i don't think it exists if it did, I would buy it. Oh, yeah, 100%. But what I did get, it just has, like, white constellations printed all over it. But I think it's cute. I spent so much time in my apartment. I was like, I really want some new decor. Yeah, I've realized that. Like, it's nice to have plants and just, like, care more about how my space around me looks because I'm not just running off to work every day. I'm working at home now. Yeah, I know. I feel like I have to run my dishwasher all the time because I eat basically three all three of my meals every day here <laughs> right <laughs> except for today i got lunch out Whoa. yeah i totally get that <laughs> okay so on that note yeah on that note speaking of all the food we consume meals <laughs> oh man i love meal time you know like i try to eat healthy but i really do i do love i do love a meal time you know oh yeah definitely i definitely look forward to my meals me too I eat, and I'm like, okay, when do I get to eat again? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So on that note, should we introduce ourselves? Yes, great idea. So I'm Henna. And I'm Anna. And this is... But, but it, it is Rocket Science. Science. Okay, I need to just, like, move my foot. You know when you can, like, feel it? Okay, I know. I, you're all like, we all know your foot's asleep. Like, <laughs> get a bigger apartment. Yeah, I will, eventually. Maybe. <laughs> Probably not. <gasps> oh. What I do for all of you. So let's talk about space food. Now the first thing, Hannah, what is the first thing you think of when you hear space food? Astronaut ice cream. Yes, that was freeze dried. 
vacuum-packed cubes of, in my notes I have in quotations, ice cream. They usually come in Neapolitan, that like strawberry vanilla chocolate. Definitely. Yep. I know what you're talking about. I actually think I have one kicking around my apartment somewhere from a backpacking trip. You normally, I feel like you get them if you're a kid and you go to space camp or they have them at like all the museums. You can also buy them for backpacking. They sell them at like recreational stores. I forgot what that was called for a second. Sporting <laughs> goods stores. There we go. Recreational stores. And that version of space ice cream has never actually been used for space missions. NASA deemed it too crumbly. So I guess instead it somehow just ended up as a novelty item, I guess. You know, I didn't realize that before this episode because whenever I would go to a NASA center and I would go to the visitor center. They have them everywhere. They have them everywhere. Mm-hmm. They have different flavors. Yep. Everywhere. I just assumed, but now that I understand more about the space environment and I did the research for this topic, it was like a light bulb going off in my brain. Oh, it does make sense that they wouldn't carry this freeze-dried ice cream in space. It's too crumbly. I don't actually know if it's even really freeze-dried ice cream or what it is. <laughs> if it's just like heavy cream or something. That's just dehydrated. <laughs> yeah, I don't actually know. But it's never actually been used for a space mission. And like I said, it's because it's too crumbly, which is something Hannah actually mentioned this. I never thought about this. It is really crumbly, and normally you're that's just, like, annoying. Like, you eat it over the package. In the microgravity of environment of space, this can be a huge problem. Because it can get all over the place. You can't control where those small crumbs will end up. It could end up damaging sensitive equipment. It's also just kind of gross. That's right. You don't have the gravity to pull all the particles down. So anything no. that's crumbly will just start floating around. It can come into your eyeballs. It can get stuck in little crevices of the engineering mechanical parts in the capsule. Like, you don't know where that stuff's going to end up. Also, it just would be a pain to clean. Yeah. On that realization, I was today years old when I learned space eye cream (laughs) was never used for space. But obviously, the only missions you would need food for are missions with humans on board. This makes Yuri Gagarin the best place to start. On April 12th, 1961, Yuri Gagarin became the first person in space. He orbited the Earth for 108 minutes on the Vostok 1 spacecraft. We actually have an episode about him and Valentina, the first woman in space, if you want to check it out. Yes. One of our first ones, I think. Single digit. That's right. (laughs) During his 108-minute flight, he ate two 5.6-ounce or 160-gram servings of pureed meat, and one 5.6-ounce tube of chocolate sauce. They were packaged in tubes that look very similar to, like, toothpaste with screw caps. Those old-school, like, metal tubes. If you buy hand lotion, I feel like nice hand lotion comes in these kind of, like, metal tubes with screw caps. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. And sometimes those screw caps will have a little pointy end where when you screw it on, it'll poke the seal. Yeah, like you flip it over and it'll open it. Yes. Yep. Okay, I had a couple thoughts upon initially reading this. The first one being that eating pureed meat out of a toothpaste tube sounds truly awful. Yeah, it really does. Hannah doesn't eat meat, so for her, I guess there's another (laughs) level there. I can, I can, I can sympathize. (laughs) And then two, I was like, did he really need to eat lunch? Like, as somebody who loves a snack, like his entire flight was less than two hours. I was like, why was he eating? (laughs) Like, why were, why did scientists be like, yeah, yeah, let's add this level onto this. And it was actually something I never thought of before researching this, but at the time, scientists had no idea if humans could actually eat food in microgravity. They didn't know. 
One of Yuri's mission objectives was to try and eat, just to see if it was possible. It makes sense if you think about it. I'm sure scientists had no idea if our digestive system worked in gravity. Did you need gravity for food to go down your esophagus? Could you swallow? Spoiler alert, you can. And humans can successfully eat in space, but they really had no idea. (laughs) (laughs) One of his objectives was to eat to see if you could do it. We can. Humans can eat in space. That's fascinating. I didn't realize that that was... That was almost an experiment, you know? It was more than almost an experiment. It was an experiment. That's right. That was an experiment. (laughs) American scientists had similar questions regarding the feasibility of eating in space. And on February 20th, 1962, aboard Friendship 7, John Glenn became the first astronaut to eat in space. John Glenn was not the first American man in space. Alan Shepard was. However, John Glenn was the first American to orbit the Earth. Gotcha. During his orbits, Glenn ate a tube of applesauce, similar to the toothpaste-style tubes Gagarin ate out of, in xylose sugar tabs with water. I take the applesauce. (laughs) That really does sound better. I actually, it made me laugh because I buy applesauce like that. Yeah! You can get them from Trader Joe's. They have, like, screw caps. They're plastic. But they're, like, Capri Sun pouches that you can put the lid back on and off. Yep, I do the same. (laughs) they're meant for children they're like fruit sauce crushers uh but i buy just the applesauce version but they're really nice i'm like why isn't yogurt packaged like this like this is so convenient i don't need a utensil i can just throw it out it doesn't make a mess i can eat it right out of the container and that's exactly why they did that for space you didn't need a utensil it all stayed within the container you could eat it right out of the container and it didn't go everywhere Directly from the container to in your mouth. That makes a lot of sense. It does, which is probably why we still kind of use that. (laughs) Like, you could still buy food like that. All these factors essentially led to tube food being the best choice. It was light and could be squeezed directly into the astronauts' mouths. If you're curious about it, I think you actually can still buy versions of what the astronauts ate at museums. Uh, And just as a side note, the reason I know this, there's a comedian I really like named Richard Ayuati. He's in a TV show called The IT Crowd. (laughs) And he does another show that you can find on Hulu called Travel Man. In an episode, he went to Moscow with another comedian named Greg Davies. And they went to the Moscow Space Museum and they tried this like pyramid meat in a tube and it looked truly terrible. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, it honestly looks horrifying. (laughs) And in my notes, I wrote, the thought of eating meat out of a tube gives me creepy crawlies. (laughs) Another thing to consider, which I also didn't even think about is that the food needed to be pretty mild to make sure it didn't cause any of the astronauts' stomach distress. You don't want to be giving them something really intense. I would say in space is probably not the ideal time to be experiencing stomach distress. Oh yeah, definitely. So they had to try to give them pretty mild foods, which... Applesauce. However, tube food did not stick around forever. Astronauts on the preceding Mercury mission ate similar food items... However, at this point, the tubes were ousted, they were metal, they were not that light, and they were replaced with freeze-dried foods in vacuum-packed bags. Freeze-drying was chosen because the process does not affect the nutritional value of the food, but drastically decreases its weight and improves its shelf life. All you're doing is removing the water, and it doesn't actually affect anything else about the food. However, the process of rehydrating those meals in microgravity was difficult. Water was injected in through a nozzle, and a packet had to be kneaded to reconstitute it. Essentially just to, like, bring it back to life. 
I can also only imagine the entire thing was at room temperature, which couldn't taste great. Yeah, I think it's similar to, so you know when you go and get those packs of rice that you microwave? Minute rice. Yes, the minute rice. And you have to kind of like squeeze it apart with your hands before you tear it open and stick in the microwave. I can imagine like that being that kneading process. Yep, it's like that, but at room temperature. Yeah. <laughs> not, not my favorite. Another interesting fact I found was that the astronauts were also given crushed wheat or cornflakes that were compressed into cubes and then coated in gelatin to prevent them from crumbling. Ugh. Yeah, ew. Ew, ew, ew. <laughs> you can see a picture of the food in the CNN article, link in the sources, but it doesn't look appetizing. I'm sure it was great. I'm sure it was nutritionally valuable. I'm sure that's why they sent it up with the astronauts. I am just saying I am fortunate I didn't have to eat it. <laughs> yeah. And apparently what the Russians did, I thought this was super cool. To avoid crumbs, the Russians made tiny loaves of bread so tiny that they could be eaten in a single bite to avoid crumbs. <laughs> I want to see that tiny bread pan. <laughs> I know! It, this sounds a lot tastier than gelatin-coated cornflakes. <laughs> it makes me wonder if it's like an ice cube tray. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a good point. Like I'm picturing an ice cube-sized little loaf of bread. Yeah. Astronaut Gordon Cooper who flew on what would be the final and longest Mercury mission, with 22 orbits, totaling 34 hours, 19 minutes, and 49 seconds in space, <laughs> ate dehydrated shrimp, potato salad, and apple juice. That sounds a lot better. Yeah, way better, right? Than squeezable meat. <laughs> Not like a ton better, but definitely an upgrade. Uh, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> something to note, this is all at room temperature. After the flight, Cooper is quoted as saying, I think the food I had along was adequate, although it was so much work to get some of it here that I tended to just perhaps not eat as much as I should have. This actually brings up a really good point, and it's something that was changed in later missions. But if the food is too difficult to eat, the astronauts may not bother eating it. For the case of Cooper's mission, it doesn't really matter that much. He wasn't up there for that long. But for missions with long days of work... And calcium leaching from the astronauts' bones and microgravity, nutrition becomes especially important. And it's vital that the astronauts eat all of their meals for the day. Yeah, that's a super great point that Anna brings up. Your body is constantly going through atrophy in space, so you want to be refueling it on time every day. Exactly. And if the food's too much to eat, the astronauts may just not bother. Which I think we've all done when you could have made dinner, but instead you had cereal. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that too many times. <laughs> yep. Just as a quick side note, I read that apparently pilot John Young of the Gemini 3 mission snuck a corned beef sandwich on board for their commander, Gus Grissom, who loved corned beef sandwiches. However, Gus wasn't supposed to eat any food during this mission, and there were also concerns about breadcrumbs going everywhere. I don't think anybody ate it, but they all got a good laugh about it. NASA, however, did not think it was funny, and Young had to promise he would never do it again. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, that made me laugh. I'm sure if I was one of those engineers, they'd be like, well, the one thing we asked you not to do, and you had to bring a sandwich. <laughs> but it's pretty funny. Could you imagine, like, I'm so glad that didn't happen, but a disaster being caused by sandwich? Like, what the heck would that I know. look like? <laughs> I think it was corn brief on rye, so... <laughs> Really quite a dangerous weapon there. But it really could. Those crumbs could mess up sensitive equipment. 
Before the Apollo missions, where eating became necessary for survival and less experimental, the variety of food options was expanded even further. The Apollo astronauts had the luxury of a hot water dispenser or hot water gun. I saw a picture of it online. It'll be linked in the sources. It kind of looks like if you go to a bar or a restaurant and they have that soda gun, it looks a little bit like that. Except it's for hot water. The exciting thing about this was, it meant that all their meals didn't have to be room temperature. (laughs) Woo! Woo! I can only imagine that helped them a lot. Imagine if you ever go backpacking, one of those freeze-dried backpacking meals that you can buy. (laughs) Like, if you look at the expiration date, it's like good until 2099 or something. I can only imagine it's pretty close to what the astronauts were eating. You just add hot water to, like, a baggie. You seal it back up. You wait, I don't know, five, six minutes. Stir it together and call it a day. I could not imagine eating that at room temperature. I just don't think that could yeah. taste great. I can imagine, like, the astronauts who went from eating the food at room temperature to receiving this hot water gun. Must have been so excited. So excited. It must have been, like, a fine dining experience yes. for them. Well, especially <laughs> just the idea of, like, if you're in space for two weeks, not having a hot meal for two weeks. Yeah, right? That's a long time. That is a long time. Imagine just how happy some hot mac and cheese makes you, and that stuff is dried, you know? Yeah. And it still tastes delicious. Yeah. But imagine eating a cold sandwich every day for all your meals. Yeah, that would get that would get tough. That would get tough and boring. The Apollo missions also introduced something called a wet pack, which just means the food contained water and didn't need to be rehydrated. Something similar I can think of is if you buy tuna in packets from the grocery store, that would basically be a wet pack, except it's not all tuna. While they did weigh more, astronauts enjoyed them, making the extra weight worth it. As I mentioned before, it's important that the astronauts actually eat the food supplied to them. If they don't like it, they may just not eat it. And another advancement, (laughs) I put advancement in quotation marks, per se, is that the astronauts were allowed to eat with a spoon. So it's exactly like a candy meal. You just eat it right out of the pouch with a spoon. And I think in a way, this kind of returned a sense of normalcy. Yeah, I can see that. Which is pretty important. And that more or less covers food on historic launch vehicles in the U.S. Beautiful. What a beautiful evolution of food. Thank you. So something interesting is that food on launch vehicles is different because space and mass are very limited. Henna's going to bring us to space food on the ISS, where you have some extra space. Ha, get it? They have That's they right. Have extra <laughs> I didn't actually do that on purpose. I wrote that down in my notes, but I didn't realize it was a pun until right now. I love it. So funny. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But before we do that, shall we take a break? Yeah, let's take a quick break. All right, everyone, we're back from our break. We're back. I preheated my oven. Oh, heck yeah. Hannah, what are you having for dinner? Did you eat yet? You didn't eat yet, right? No, I didn't. I had that flatbread piece I had earlier with you. That looked good. It was really tasty. I had this mushroom flatbread, and I feel like the fall is such a good time for mushroom things. I agree. It's just so yummy. I agree. So what are you going to do for dinner? Good question. Getting to the important stuff. 
Um, I think I'm going to have some leftover Thai food, which oh, also yum. sounds amazing <laughs> to me now. Thai food reheats so well. It really does. It really does. So good. How about you, Anna? What's on the menu for dinner tonight? I have a bag of fresh Brussels sprouts I need to eat, but I'm also feeling kind of lazy. So I think I'm going to do, I'm going to make the fresh Brussels sprouts. I'm going to roast them in the oven. Yummy. And then I'm going to do, just make like bacon and eggs. Oh, that sounds awesome. I love breakfast for dinner. I do too. It's easy. It's tasty. Pretty nutritious. And you'll have the Brussels sprouts for the week. Also, everyone complains about Brussels sprouts, but I think they're just making them wrong because you can really make them delicious. Yes. Also, Brussels sprouts in the freezer bag, if you boil them, are terrible. If you steam them, they're not great. If you put them in the oven, they're pretty good. But fresh Brussels sprouts roasted in the oven are one of my favorite things. They're so good. They're so good. I don't know what it is. First of all, roasted in the oven, big improvement, but get the fresh ones really good. Mm -hmm. Super easy to prepare. Olive oil, salt, pepper. You're good to go. So good. Okay. All right. Tell us about the current and future of space food. The current. Please tell us about the current and future states of space food, Steve. Why am I weird today? (laughs) You're fine. Don't worry. All right, Hannah. I can't wait to hear about space food. All right, let's get back into it. Future space food. That's right. As Anna touched upon, planning an astronaut's food is a type of challenge that doesn't come to mind often when thinking about a space program. Sure, you'll think that, okay, an astronaut eats food, but planning that food for short and long duration missions is a real math problem in itself. For context, astronauts consume about 0.83 kilograms or 1.83 pounds of food per day. Let's think about it. You have four astronauts, a two-week mission. That's about 102 pounds of food. Let's picture this in terms of delicious oranges. I guess I just really wanted an orange (laughs) when I wrote these notes. That's about 612 oranges for a two-week mission. Did you Google the average weight of an orange? I did. (laughs) I guess I just really wanted oranges when I wrote these notes. Now that I'm looking at them, I'm like, why did I choose an orange? (laughs) Unpopular opinion. I think oranges are too much work. Oh, interesting. Like, I, I, really? they're not worth it to me. Yeah, to peel them, it's <sighs> not, I don't, unpopular opinion. That is def. I think, yeah, that is definitely an unpopular opinion. And it's like, <laughs> you're right, I disagree. <laughs> I just, I'm ready to fight this, but you already accepted that you're part of the unpopular opinion. You're like, I was so. getting ready to, <laughs> to come back at you, but then, I'm <sighs> uh, sorry. All right, Anna, whenever we get breakfast together, I'll bring you orange juice. <laughs> orange juice is good. Like, yeah, if it's you want, delicious. if you, if you brought me a, fresh and somebody else peeled the orange yeah i'm in like (laughs) (laughs) Um, 612 oranges that's a lot of weight it's a lot of weight they're even a longer mission than two weeks it just keeps growing and growing and growing exactly and the point that i'm trying to make here and that anna has already touched on right before we went on our break was that all this mass takes up space And mission planners need to be creative with how the astronauts will be sustained in space. Mass means more launch costs. Mm -hmm. Let's examine the food situation on the ISS. Fun fact, luckily there is an oven on the ISS to heat food, but there have been no food-dedicated refrigerators on the ISS until now. That is so surprising to me. Yeah, 
They have had small cooling fridges, but those have been for research experiments. And I know they've had a small cooler for condiments and beverages, but nothing for all the food. Until very recently. Actually, the timing of our episode is pretty great Wait, because... there was one for condiments? Yeah. I'm thinking like it was a very compact, tiny one. Oh, I was like, <laughs> I'm just picturing like a mini fridge that's like only ketchup. <laughs> like, ketchup and mustard. Don't even think about it. But yes, it makes sense that it's like a <laughs> tiny one that you have like just a little package in. Exactly. The timing of this episode is actually pretty great because some exciting news came out earlier this month. If you're listening to our episode way into the future, this month means October 2020. (laughs) Good caveat. Good caveat. (laughs) Thought I'd cover it for everyone here. As of this month, small fridges were sent to the ISS and the ISS received them. And they were designed by BioServe Technologies, which is a research group that is a part of CU Boulder. Their fridge project is named FRIDGE. So that's FRIDGE in all caps lock. It's an acronym for freezer, refrigerator, incubator device for galley, and experimentation. That's a good one. That doesn't feel that forced. Yeah, exactly. I thought so too. I'm sure they backed it out. Like, I'm sure they weren't. I'm sure they picked the word fridge. That's a good one. My favorite are the ones that have like uppercase and lowercase letters. It's just like really, it's like a full sentence that they like, (laughs) you're like, oh, you really, you really jammed that square peg into that round hole. Yeah, definitely. But this one's really good. This one feels natural. This one is a great acronym. Anna and I have talked about this in past episodes, but NASA is notorious for its acronyms. And a bunch of teams will force their acronyms. Like Anna said, they will combine the capital and lowercase letters of a word. And it won't be like the lowercase letter that's right next to the capital letter. Sometimes they'll even choose the lowercase letter in the middle of a word to force the acronym. It's like they pick a word that sounds really good. Uh, if you were going to do something to monitor tropical storms, you'd call it STORM. The acronym wouldn't be capital S, capital T, capital O, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It'd be like capital S, lowercase t, capital O. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're like, what is happening? And then you look at what it stands for and it's like an entire paragraph. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what happens. <laughs> this just makes me laugh. Okay, sorry, back on topic. Yes, back on topic. So this fridge, this fridge that CU Boulder designed, it's a compact unit that will fit in the ISS galley racks, and it's programmable to operate as a fridge or as a freezer. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's actually pretty nifty. Fridge units have been delivered to the ISS recently. Astronauts, where I read this in an article, they're really hoping that for future missions, NASA will stock these fridges with real pints of ice cream. Apparently, that's like a hot commodity, a hot item for space treats. Like, that's something that astronauts really want. Whenever they do, like, a restocking mission, they tend to send some fresh food. So I bet they're holding their hopes out for ice cream. Yeah, I was reading that typically the first day of a mission, astronauts will eat their fresh food. Like, there'll be just enough. Because it can't, it won't last that long. Yep, exactly. I would recommend checking out the CU Boulder website. I'll have it linked in our sources to learn more about the specifics about how the fridge works. I didn't find any super technical specifics, but I think they're in the process of releasing more uh, information. I would just check out their website for more info. Cool. Yeah. 
Food for the ISS is actually developed at the Space Food Systems Laboratory at the Johnson Space Center in Houston. They work on producing and packaging food for the ISS. They provide half of the food on the ISS. I didn't know this, but food on the ISS is a collaborative effort between U.S. and Russia. They share food amongst the astronauts. That's cool. I guess I always imagined that the cosmonauts ate their own separate food because they have their own separate spacesuits and stuff. Yeah. Actually, I didn't realize that. I didn't really think about it. You know, I didn't stop to think about how the food was shared on these missions where there are multiple countries involved until I watched Away. Away is this series on Netflix. It's really great. And it's about a mission to Mars. In the show, there was a scene where the astronauts were joking about how one of the astronauts' food was better than everyone else's. <laughs> so that's when I thought about it. I was like, oh, yeah, I guess the different countries would bring different foods with them. Yeah, it's interesting because the cosmonauts actually have their own, like, EVA suits. Yes, that is true. They have a separate EVA suit, so it's interesting that they all eat the same food. What I was reading was that before launching to the ISS, the astronaut crew will sample the American food at JSC, Johnson Space Center, and then they would sample the Russian food in Moscow, so they get to provide their preferences, which I thought was really awesome. Oh, interesting. I also bet they have them sample it to make sure it doesn't cause them stomach distress. Yeah, that's a really good point. And then also from this, you may be wondering, well, the ISS is a collaboration between more countries than just the U.S. and Russia. How about the other countries? Well, actually, astronauts from the European Space Agency, ESA, the Japan Aerospace Exploration Agency, JAXA, and the Canadian Space Agency, CSA, also bring foods representative of their respective cuisines. And the food is actually shared amongst the astronauts, which I thought was really awesome. That's so cool. Yeah, I love that. I like that too. And the Space Food Systems Lab actually has quite an extensive food wish list. Astronauts are able to select items that they want to eat from a list of 200 menu items. Whoa, I, for whatever reason, I assumed it was like 10 things. Yeah, me too, before I read this. Fascinating. I thought so too. Meals are freeze-dried or thermostabilized so they can last for a while without going bad. And Anna talked about this, basically having a long shelf life. We also got into this a little bit earlier, but we talked about resupply missions. So resupply vehicles will launch these food items to replenish the supply on the ISS. What that means is that this packaged food is shipped to one of the three launch sites for these resupply launches. These sites include Cape Canaveral Air Force Station in Florida for launch aboard the SpaceX Dragon, the Mid-Atlantic Regional Spaceport in Virginia to be taken on the Cygnus spacecraft, and then also included in the launch site list is the Tanegashima Space Center in Japan from where HTVs are launched. Cool. Yeah. All right, getting a bit into the future, let's talk about food plans for Mars. Anna and I have discussed this in previous episodes, but to reiterate, a trip to Mars and back can take three years, which would require thousands of kilograms of food. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot of mass to take up all at once. If we were trying to do that, that would just skyrocket the launch cost. It may not even be possible. Like, you may not be able to take all that food up and have it the people. Yeah. And on the necessary equipment. Right, right. There are several strategies that NASA is researching for a future mission to Mars program. One is that they are considering separate robotic 
meaning uncrewed launches, specifically for delivering food, water, tools to the surface of Mars before the astronauts arrive there. That's what they did in a way. <laughs> that's right. That's what they did in a way. I don't think that's really a spoiler. Yeah, I don't think so. I think that's just what's going to happen with any space program to Mars. <laughs> and then also what I think is really cool is that NASA's providing research grants to universities all over the U.S. to work on how to grow food on Mars. So cool! Really cool. I was actually part of one of these research groups, and we devised an autonomous greenhouse concept with a whole sensor suite that would monitor soil moisture, CO2, O2, carbon dioxide, and oxygen buildup in the greenhouse, nutrient delivery, etc. for a contained greenhouse, and I did this at CU Boulder. Another research group that I thought was pretty cool and I wanted to call them out is that there's a research group at Harvard that's coming up with methods to grow food directly on the Martian surface. Whoa. Considering humans can survive on Mars. Yeah. I can't imagine any plants that we could eat growing there. Right. Like maybe some very extreme weather plants, but not any that I would imagine you would want to eat. That's why this recent research is actually really incredible. Because typically when we picture food on Mars, we think about contained environments. You know, you have a greenhouse there. Yeah. Everything's contained. You're not exposed to the Martian atmosphere. That's why what Harvard is doing is actually really interesting. We know that the Martian surface is not suitable to growing food as it is. The Earth gets almost twice as much sunlight as the Martian surface gets. And beyond that, the Martian surface is actually receiving more cosmic rays and high UV levels that make it difficult to grow healthy plants. Aww. Yeah. And on average, the surface temperature of Mars is about minus 60 C or minus 76 Fahrenheit because it has a really thin atmosphere, which doesn't lock in a lot of heat. That was the first thing I thought of. I was like, how in the world are you going to grow plants that cold? Right. So I'm curious. Yes. And we're getting to it. <laughs> Earth's surface is warm, and its soil has nutrients that support plant growth. Mars has regolith, which is very dry. Harvard's solution to this is they're working on silica aerogel greenhouse shields to directly change the surface of Mars to make it plant-friendly. I'm reading the notes, and my first instinct is I read it as pet-friendly. I was like, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> Like, you can have a house cat? I now, I now get it. I have now rejoined the current situation we're in. Please proceed. <laughs> Plant friendly. Yeah, before we came back from the break, Anna was like, I got lost in a video. I forgot what we were doing. She literally messaged me. She's like, I'm ready. I was like, I forgot we were doing this. I started watching a YouTube video. Like, like, <laughs> so I'm not surprised you read that as pet friendly and not plant friendly. I gotta know it. I was like, ready for what? Well, I'm like sitting on the floor. <laughs> <sighs> All right, so <laughs> let's get back on topic. The aerogel shields are made of a see through transparent material and they're 97% porous. What I was reading was that these shields could be spread around the Martian surface where you would have your farm, and the shields would act as a sort of blanket for trapping heat, they would create a sort of greenhouse effect, which could help increase the Martian temperature up to 100 C or the boiling point of water, which I thought Whoa. was really incredible. Mm -hmm. 
And what's really cool is that these shields can block radiation that would otherwise kill plants. All in all, it's really cool research. However, it does seem to be in its early phases. I couldn't find any pictures of the aerogel shields. We think that they're probably like some sort of awning above the ground. What was in the article was that you could use these aerogel shields to make habitats or biodomes. We don't know exactly what it looks like, and it seems to be in early research phases. But if you're interested, go check out the Harvard website, go Google it, check out the source that I'll have linked. All in all, cool research to follow. It is. Mars needs view botanists. That's right. Mars does. Thought I'd highlight that one. There are definitely a lot of schools involved in research for providing plants and food for Mars. Thought I'd highlight one so we didn't have an episode that was six hours long. <laughs> it was really interesting. That's all I have. Awesome. Anna, this was a really fun topic. Thanks. Thanks, my mom. Thanks, mom. <laughs> all right. So on that note, Anna, do you want to tell everyone where they can find us? Yeah, sure thing. You can find us on Instagram at But It Is Rocket Science. You can find us on Twitter at But It Is RS. You can. <laughs> uh, Anna pulled a henna. <laughs> this rarely happens. <laughs> I'm off my game. No. Oh, man. If you enjoyed this episode, if you want to recommend ideas for us for future topics, you can go to our website but it is rocketscience.com and go to our about us page and shoot us a message. Let us know what you think. Let us know if you liked October spooky month. Yes. Cause if you do, we'll do it again next year. Yes, definitely. And then it still blows my mind that there are people out there who listen to this. And if you enjoy it, please leave us a review. We've gotten so many wonderful reviews on Apple podcasts from so many of you. And every time we see them, it just blows our minds. Yeah, it definitely does. We get really excited. We'll screenshot the reviews and send them to each other. We really will. It's it's awesome. All right. Shall we get into our sources? Let's do it. Do you want to go first? I used to a couple NASA.gov websites about food on the ISS, food in space, food on Mars, and I'll have all of that linked in our sources. I also use a CNN website about Apollo space food history. <laughs> I also use that. I wonder if it's the same website. <laughs> it probably is. And then I also used an article from theconversation.com, How to Grow Crops on Mars if We Are to Live on the Red Planet. I used another article from space.com, an article from 9news.com that was about the CU Boulder fridge, and then an article from the actual colorado.edu website about the fridge. I also used the Harvard website for their silica aerogels project. Nice. How about you, Anna? I used an article from science.howstuffworks.com about space food. I also used the CNN article about Apollo space food history. Nice. I used the Wikipedia article about space food. And then I used another article from rbth.com called Russian Kitchen. It was just about the Russian space food evolution. I used a little bit from a paper called History of Nutrition in Spaceflight by Helen W. Lane, PhD, and Daniel L. Feeback, PhD. We'll have the link to that. This is the sources, so we'll have it all linked. I used discoverspace.com, and then I used Wikipedia to get a reminder about Yuri Gagarin's mission. I used an article about from the Air and Space Museum about John Glenn and what he ate in space. 
the Wikipedia page for John Glenn, and the Wikipedia page for Gordon Cooper. And that's all I have. Wonderful. Yeah, that was good. That was fun. That was great. That was a good one. You ready to close it out? Yeah, let's wrap it up. Until next time, Space Cadets. T minus three, two, one, liftoff. <laughs>